And so we wanted professionals to be able to help veterans access better information, better options, while being held accountable. Welcome to the Vet VA Podcast. My name is Nathan Nottingham, joined by my co-host and partner, Christopher Griffith, where we're going to talk about all things VA home loan benefit. Where we take a few minutes to teach, train, and educate you on the factors that should inform some of the biggest choices you'll ever make. In this episode, let's talk about a couple questions like, are you confused about attorney states versus escrow states? What about wondering what paperwork you should be signing at closing? We're here to answer these questions and more. Each week, we invite guests from the Vetted VA network from around the nation, ensuring that you get insights in diverse regions and markets for wherever you may be considering using your VA home loan benefit. Remember, we're also here to help you in real time. So if you haven't yet, join our Facebook group, search Vetted VA in Facebook, Join the group and ask your questions. Get answers in real time and solutions to help you on the home buying journey. We're not just here to share knowledge. We're here to help guide you on your journey home. So let's go around the horn tonight. I'll introduce everyone. I've got David Osborne uh, with Logic Lending. You're in Granite Bay. Is that Northern California, David? Yes, that's in Northern California. You can tell I don't go that far, far north. Are you north of the Bay Area or are you near the Bay Area? Uh, I'd say like what level with the Bay area, <laughs> just inward you. more. Right. So, so in the Valley, I got you. I'm also joined by Randy Teekle in uh, Salina, Texas. Am I saying it right? Randy, have I got it right the third time around? Absolutely good. You had, you had to teach me both first times before <laughs> I could uh, figure it out. Um, Randy's also uh, a mortgage loan officer and our, our last, but certainly not our least guest is Sarah Schwacker, always throws me off with that one, a realtor in Chicago, Illinois, and going to give us the perspective of not just the realtor, but also what closing looks like in an attorney state, which is a little bit unique um, to other areas. So with that, why don't we jump in and David, what what is closing day? When someone's thinking of closing, what does it mean? And this would be a little bit of a different answer for us in California. Oftentimes, this occurs over multiple days. But why don't you just kind of explain what is what are the things that are happening at closing that the buyer needs to be aware of? Right. So closing day for a lot of the United States, that's not like an escrow state. Um, what we'll call a table funding state would be the day that you're actually signing all your final loan paperwork. In California, closing day happens a couple of days before um, because we are not table funding, meaning we as a lender are not sending the wire right away. And usually we're having the seller countersign. So there is, like Josh was saying, a couple day delay between closing and funding. So, but I'd say for simplicity, right? Just keep it to that's when you're signing all your final loan paperwork, the note, the deed of trust, um, and all the other legal <laughs> paperwork of that's like a, inch thick maybe not that thick but at least in so California, every everything that we've been doing for the 30 to 45 days when i say <laughs> we you your loan officer your realtor the other side everything that everyone's been doing closing is when we're coming and we're consummating putting all of the final details together signing all of the legal agreements um, bringing money in and closing so we're going to go through all of those details because there's a lot of steps there Randy, why don't you start for us and talk about maybe the seven days prior to closing. Closing is showtime when everything happens, but we kind of have a lull. When, when we start, you're going to have a contract signed, escrows open, you make your deposit, you get your disclosures, a bunch of stuff happens. Then we have a couple of weeks where there's not as much stuff happening. About seven days prior, things start bubbling up again and happening. Why don't you walk us through what that looks like? Yeah, and, and basically you, you hit on one of the biggest things is that the initial underwrite, you know, the, when you first start the file, it's going to be submitted to the underwriter for a, for a submission. And then the underwriter is going to come back with some conditions that, you know, if these conditions are all met, then we've got an approval. And then finally, usually about seven days before close, you're going to get that final clear to close. And that, that clear to close is, is really what starts the rest of the wheels in motion. And, and at that point in time, you, you can schedule a closing. Now, obviously, we've got a target of closing from the beginning that we want to close on a certain day. But but if the reality is without that clear to close, that ain't happening. 
and and for, hopefully we want to be getting our clear to close soon enough that we have time to get the 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 docs and the final schedule. We're going to get that final CD. Typically it has to be done four days in advance because we're dealing with primary residences, um, and so you can't close unless you've got three day period the wait period in, in the middle of that. So we got to clear to close. Go ahead. Randy, why, do, why don't you go through some detail? I think it's important. Um, we've talked about the closing disclosure, the loan estimate, all that stuff in other episodes. But in the context of closing, it's really important. Closing cannot occur until that, that CD gets out. So you were talking about clear to close. To me, like the closing disclosure and that clear to close are the two things that we have to make happen before we can actually get to that closing. So why don't you walk through what the CD is, when it right. may go out on the early end, when it may go out on the late end, and then you were talking about the timeline of how that sets when we can actually settle, uh, schedule the closing. Yeah, different lenders do it differently, but but the, the main thing is you have to have the three-day wait period after it's signed, but but I've got some lenders that will sign it that, that won't issue it until you have a clear to close. Um, I've got some lenders that won't issue it until you get a appraisal in and and know for sure the, the value. Um, so there's different levels on that. I, 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 uh, I like the ones that get it out soon, but but no matter what, that first one is just a preliminary. And it's not final balance with title, at least not in Texas. It's just something to start that clock, the trid clock, we call it. And, and so it's going to be what I call spitball accurate, uh, but, but title hasn't blessed it. And, you know, at, at the very end, the funder and the title funder, they go back and forth playing ping pong till they get this thing balanced. And once they say it's balanced, then at that point in time, the docs can be actually ordered. And so the, the docs in Texas have to go to a third-party Texas attorney that reviews those documents to make sure that they're all legal with the funky Texas law. Um, but And then at that point in time, they release the docs to the title company. Um, but but again, that CD, that closing disclosure, is, is going to be something that gives you a pretty good idea of the cash that you're going to bring to close. It, it has a pretty good idea of what your payment's going to be. Um, but it's not final balance on the cash to close and that they have to balance different, different things that, uh, um, you know, back and forth between them. But up to that point, the, the, the lender has been running based on a template usually. And, and then the, uh, the title company is running off of actual numbers on everything. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And would, would you agree that for the most part, the worst thing that, that the settlement agent, whether they're at title or at escrow, can have happen at that point is they give you a number and then we find out, ooh, the number was worse. So most times, like you said, it's pretty darn accurate. There's a little padded to the high side to make sure the number they give you to have bring in, which we'll, we'll go through the mechanics of getting your money in for the closing here in a little bit. But they're going to set a, a high number for that that we know uh, will we'll cover the closing. And now you you are ready to schedule the closing. So we have the CD. You as the, the loan officer have ordered the loan documents. So why don't you kind of close the loop on what that looks like for, for you getting the loan documents over to closing? Now, I, the, the funder actually is gonna, uh, going to be totally balanced at that point in time. And, and sometimes that balancing takes all day long. As a, as a loan officer, we're watching you know, 30 things happening, but, but we're watching that you know, back and forth. And, and at the end of the day, there might be 40 emails back and forth about, well, I forgot this, I forgot that, you know, or it's this, this amount and whatever. But at the point in which they both agreed that it's balanced, then at, during that time period in Texas, they've been, they've sent the documents over to the Texas third party attorney. Um, it's just a matter of having the CD balance, but, but they're blessing all the legal documents to make sure that the right people are, are in the right places and the I's and T's are dotted. And, and then um, at, at that point in time, then the, uh, the, the funder at the lender is, is going to say, okay, we've got the blessing from the third-party attorney. I'm releasing docs to title. And so at that point in time, the docs will come over electronically. I, I've been long enough that it used to be that we, that we sent them out FedEx, but, uh, um, but they're ele electronically released. And, and so they print them all out at that point in time and, and prepare for the, you, the person to actually show up to sign. Perfect. So Sarah, why don't you, why don't you jump in at this point as a realtor, one of these transactions is going, 
your loan officer and borrower hopefully keeping you in the loop. CD is out, so we we've have our waiting period expired, clear to close, done, docs ordered and over at escrow. What are you as a realtor preparing your client to do and expect now that we know all of our ducks are in a row and we have our scheduled closing date? So typically when we see the CD come through, the attorneys get that. I take a look at it as well. Um, the buyers are being prepped for either um, they're waiting on figures, so how much they should bring into closing. Sometimes they don't get those figures right away, and it may not be until the morning of closing, which is, you know, it can be it can be tricky because you're already focusing on moving and getting your things packed and, you know, just getting out of your place. So, um they need to get a check, obviously, for closing. The other thing that we really want to do is have a final walkthrough. So typically, I try to have that final walkthrough as close to the time of closing as possible. Some people like to do it a couple of days early. I think it should be done as close to closing time as possible. That's just my preference. Um, anything can happen to a property, right? So if if that's the case, then we want to catch that as soon as we can, obviously, and before closing for sure. So for instance, I've walked into houses where the basements are full on flooding and it's an active flood situation. So, you know, that's not fun. It's not, it's, it's actually kind of heartbreaking when you see really beautiful basements just get ruined right before closing. But um, that's handled at closing. Typically uh, an escrow would, will be held from the seller and the basement has to be repaired. Um, I've had other situations where um, just as we opened the front door, there was just a wall of gas that hit us because there was a couple of gas leaks in the house. So again, this is the kind of thing you want to catch beforehand. But yeah, that's kind of what we're working on ahead of time. And you, you have two purposes with that final walkthrough. One, to confirm that any of the repairs that have been requested and were negotiated in the contract have been completed. And then the second piece, like you're talking about, that nothing unforeseen has gone wrong with the property since the transaction started, that you are still getting the house that you contracted to buy. And then also any of the repairs, improvements uh, agreed to were handled as part of the transaction. Is that correct? That's correct. So we want to make sure that the property is in the same condition in which you agreed to purchase it. And, you know, everything that's supposed to be there is there. I had a situation once where the sellers took the beautiful dining room chandelier. It looked like a really exotic chandelier that came from the Middle East. Turns out they got it on Amazon, but they had to buy a new chandelier for the buyer now. Um, there was once a situation where a gazebo from the deck in the back was taken. Well, got to buy another gazebo now because that's on the contract. So, um, yes, the condition in which you agreed to purchase it in, you want to make sure the property still looks good. If any repairs were negotiated, you want to make sure that those repairs were taken care of. Um, also, you want to try run the appliances, make sure that there are no leaks in any of the appliances uh, and that everything is still operating. Turn on the AC if you can. Turn on the heating system if you can. All depends on the time of year. But yes, definitely check all of those different systems in the home to make sure that everything is still functional. So you've done the once you've done the walkthrough and we're actually scheduled the closing, what and and I think we should go around the horn on this because it does vary at different parts of the country. So for you in Illinois, what um, what are you preparing your buyer to expect? What do they need to bring? Who's going to be there? What is what is going to happen at closing? So post COVID, it's kind of a different world. So it used to be that everyone came to closing. There was a beautiful conference room and conference table at the title company, and the buyer and the seller, buyer's attorney, seller's attorney, agents on both sides, and sometimes the lenders would show up to closing. So it was um, it was nice having everyone there in case anything came up. Closing comes around, and it changes the entire picture of what we've known closing to be. So now the buyer is the only one at closing, uh, the attorneys are usually on standby. They're on their phones with the buyers and they go over the documents. 
and the buyer signs away. You still have a closer there who's coming in and out of the closing room, photocopying the paperwork. You obviously need your identification and your check at closing. Um, but the attorney goes over everything. And once they're done, you've got your typical scenarios where the loan is funded and closing's done. I mean, that can be a 45 minute. I've, I've seen it be as short as 45 minutes. And, and then I've seen them go as long as three, four, five hours. And just so you guys know, we're going to, we're going to go back around and David and I will kind of close with this. If you're in an escrow state, it's going to be very, very different than what she described. She's hundred percent correct. That is exactly how closing happens for a large part of the country. Um, if you're in an escrow state, it's going to be very different than say that there's a difference between a, a wet funding and a dry funding. We'll go through that fun stuff. Randy, does that sound pretty consistent with what your experience is in Texas uh, of what you prepare your buyers for uh, yeah. in terms of closing experience? Yeah, pretty much. I think the biggest thing is is that you know, they are closing in a title office, and and the title typically there's a a, a, a title closer that's gonna gonna be the person that puts them in the conference room and covers everything, answers any questions, etc. Um, and and usually that's it. Sometimes the realtor does attend. Um, sometimes the loan officers attend, but but for the most part, it's going to be the title company folks, um, and. Uh, and that's it. But one thing I wanted to touch on is is Sarah talked about a check. Um, it, the the important thing is that it, there's a couple of interesting things to know. At least in Texas, you can if if the amount that you have to bring to to close is less than fifteen hundred, then you're allowed to write a personal check for that. But if you're if, if your required funds are over that, then they have to be either a wire or certified funds. So in, in that case, the certified funds would be a cashier's check or, you know, money orders, whatever like that, that, that's, that is certified. And, and then um, the, the other thing that I would tell you is you can wire, but I, want, I know for a fact that you have to be really careful on the wire piece because there's been fraud where the, where the people have jumped in and, they, and they've been able to send the wrong wiring instructions. It's been a massive thing. One one. One uh, title company that I was talking to, it was a like three hundred fifty thousand dollar wire that was being sent, and somehow some fraud, fraudulent person got involved and and wired that funds to Ethiopia or wherever. So you got to be real careful that you're dealing with the right person. Don't don't take anything for granted on that. And I would make sure that you're on the phone with the actual title company that you're calling um, to, to make sure if you're wiring that that that's very 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 important. But but as a as a part of the balancing the CD versus the other. Um, sometimes if, if your schedule is going to be tight and you don't have a balanced CD up until that morning, um, it, it, it can play that you want to use that $1,500 check to your advantage because you're getting a pretty close number that's given on that preliminary CD. And, and if you write that, if it's over, if you bring a check for that and it's over, then they will, once the loan funds, That'll be whatever overage will be refunded back to you. And if it's short, unless it's short more than $1,500, you can write a $1,500 check or up to a $1,500 check for that. So it's not quite as, as stressful if you don't have to be exact, um, just to know that there's a couple of rules at play. And, and make sure that you check with your title company and make sure that I'm right in your particular instance. But, but in my world, um, it, sometimes people have like a, an out-of-state, they're moving here or whatever, and they have an out-of-state bank, and they can't just go down to, to the bank and get a check that day. They can get a check in advance with that preliminary CD number and then write a personal check for that, that difference or get a, or get a refund. Important. Perfect. Can, can I add on? As no, as I, I, don't want, I don't want you to just add on. So add on to whatever that thought is. But now we're going to go and say, okay, very, very different when you're in an escrow state. Not just in California. A lot of the West Coast is going to close um, with a dry funding in an escrow state. Very, very different than this. But yeah, whatever you're going to say. But I, I want you to go in detail of what it looked like for us Californians and other escrow states. Okay. Yeah, no, definitely. The one thing I wanted to add on for Randy is with uh, wires, right? I've had this happen a few times. There's a big difference between an ACH wire and a domestic wire. And a lot of bankers will even have you be like, oh, save some money. That's a good red flag to not do that <laughs> because in an ACH wire, 
for some reason does not go to the same to the same account. So not only make sure you have the right wiring instructions by talking with uh, the attorney or the escrow title rep to make sure that you're actually sending it to the right company. But if you are going into your bank or even, um, well, now a lot of people will do it electronically, right? If, if you're getting a fee that's only 3 to $10, that's, that's a big red flag because uh, you need to have it be a domestic wire. Otherwise, those funds could potentially be lost. So now to go, go to how we handle it in California or other escrow states, right? So what's a little bit different um, is you're actually going to be sitting with the notary or I shouldn't even say sitting, right? Depending upon the loan product, you could actually do the sign the electronic um, sign the final documents electronically, and then you have the notary verifying who you say you are, because technically that is their job is to make sure if I was to be signing final loan docs, they're, they're making sure that they are dealing with David Osborne. Um, so now we have loan signing agents that will try to do a decent job of explaining it, but I would always say, make sure you have your loan officer on standby. That's why there's a huge theme of communication. So you can make sure that if you do have any questions that pop up, that they're able to actually answer that. So, and at that time, you're either going to be bringing in a cashier's check, or I tell my clients, you're better off wiring depending upon how quickly we're trying to close, because in California, we have a good funds law that if you were to do a cashier's check and let's say you were signing first thing in the morning, most title escrow companies are going to say that they need to actually verify those funds for 24 hours. So you, if you were trying to close that day, that's not going to happen. So that's why there typically can be a couple day delay. Now in NorCal, um, like Sarah was talking about, everybody would come to this nice fancy conference room. Everybody's signing. It wasn't really common to have buyers and sellers sign at the same time. They were, you know, signing at different times. But it was really common to have buyers come in and sign at the escrow title company, which made it a lot easier because once you signed all the paperwork, they're uploading it to the lender. So the lender can actually have their funding team do their review. And then once they complete the review, they have the seller signed documents. Um, you brought your cash to close in if that was applicable. Um, then they're actually funding the loan. And then once it gets funded, then the title company will release for recording. And we have to wait on a recording confirmation before the home is actually in your name excuse me so anyway. so pro probably you know another concept here to to introduce to make it as confusing as possible for those of you at, <laughs> at home is this idea of, of wet funding versus uh, a dry funding state where if it's wet funding like basically you guys talked about in illinois in texas and probably geographically the majority of the country the the funds for funding your loan in addition to your wire and your check have gone with the loan doc. So that is, it's done. It is closing right there. For us, the vast majority of our lenders in California, some will still wet fund and the funds go with the loan docs. And as soon as you sign that thing is done, most times in California, you're signing your loan documents. They go back to the lender and the funding is done on another day. Could be same day, could be the next day, could be three, four, five days later. So depending on where you are in the country, ask your lender, ask your realtor how it works where you are and what timing you can expect um, from that line. David, you, you brought up something that was really important um, about being having your lender on standby. It's generally your lender, not your realtor, that's going to be explaining things to you or walking you through what you're signing there at closing. Um, something that I, I like to prep my borrowers with, we'd like to give them a little package before they go in there. Give them their note, and their deed of trust. So the note actually, and, and if you're in a different state, it could be a mortgage or a deed of trust, but the note is what creates your obligation to pay back X dollars at X amount of interest at a certain amount per month. The mortgage or the deed of trust is what secures that loan to the property. 
So those are really important. We because your stack of, of docks at closing is be like this thick. Most of them are, are boilerplate in there to protect your lender from you suing them. It's all boilerplate, just a bunch of gibberish. But you absolutely want to look at your note. You want to look at the, the mortgage or deed of trust. You want to look at your first payment letter and make sure that that matches what your loan officer told you. Hey, this is what your payment is going to be. And then the last thing that I always like to go through with my clients is that actual settlement statement. Does everything match up? Does it look like we charged you what we said we're going to charge? Does it look like you're bringing in the amount of money that you're supposed to close with? At that point, most everything else in there the doc signer, the notary, the person at settlement can explain to you. They don't want to get in and explain the details of your transaction. They don't want to answer questions about your interest rate, your loan amount, your monthly payment, any of that fun stuff. But they're comfortable saying, well, this is what this document is. You, or we typically check this box. Is that you guys experience pretty much as well? That if you prep the borrower with that up front, like I will say less than 10% of the time do I ever get a call at closing but that's because we do the, the prep ahead of time. If you don't do that, you're probably getting a call 50, 60, 70% of the time with questions. Definitely. Randy, you're shaking your head. You, you pretty much do the same and, and prep your people and, and do a little bit of a pre-review so that hopefully that signing can go a little bit more smoothly and more quickly. Actually, the, the biggest thing I do is co cover the CD. Once we get a final CD is, you know, make sure that it's in their hands and that they're covering it and that, if they have any questions whatsoever, that they understand the payment, understand the cash to close, any questions that they have just on the CD. I don't necessarily cover the note and the deed or whatever, but uh, but if I cover that CD, then that's the most important thing for me that, that shows you know, exactly what they're doing. And um, yeah, that's that's huge. And you're 100% correct. The note and the deed, they, they basically, that the CD, which is way better than what we had prior to TRID, the yeah. closing disclosure summarizes all that information. It can't say one interest rate there and a different interest rate in your note. It can't say one payment on the CD, a different one. I just like to confirm for people, this is the legal document. The right. thing that they're notarizing matches the thing that, that we already reviewed from, from that perspective. So we talked about getting the funds there. We talked about what they're going to sign and, and, and who is going to be there. Um, we talked about that final walkthrough. Sarah, probably the, the last and, and most important thing um, that people want to know, cool, settlement's over. When and how do I get my keys? So, uh, you know, again, prior to COVID, it used to be that the agents brought the keys to closing. Since COVID and agents not being at closing, we've had to get creative. So sometimes, depending on the lockbox, if it's a, you know, a, a, like a numerical code that you can just spin the dial and get to that number, we might just leave the lockbox at the property give the buyer the code after the closing is funded and done and the buyer can go over to the property, open the lockbox, get their keys. And the rest of the keys should be inside the house uh, as well as garage door openers. So by the way, you might want to check for that at, uh, at the final walkthrough. Um, other times agents might drop the key off at the title company ahead of time. Uh, maybe they'll leave it with the attorney if the attorney is going to closing I've um, on other properties that maybe have electronic lock boxes that buyers cannot access, then I might just stash the key somewhere on the property, either next to a hose, under a pile of leaves somewhere, um, just anywhere. And I'll take a picture of it and say, there you go. That's where your key is. <laughs> so people will just have to go and scrounge a little bit and you find your key, but it's hidden. It's hidden somewhere. Well, we, what do you got, Randy? So, so a couple of things that I don't think we covered that that I think are important is we talked about going to closing, but but not always are both. Say there's joint buyers on the deal. Not all, not always are they both able to make the closing. So one of the things that you understand is that you can do a power of attorney, but but that's really important that that get approved way in advance. So that particularly like we closed a loan this week and the, the buyer was in and stationed in the Middle East. Um, and so he did a power of attorney. Uh, we got that approved two weeks earlier 
Um, and, and the title company has to approve it. The, the lender has to approve it. Everybody has to be okay with this. And then it's a different set of docs and a different you know, closing because that person's not there. So just know that if you've got a power of attorney, uh, if you don't have to both be at closing. Um, and if that is the case that you need to have a couple of, you need to give the lender a couple of weeks notice that it's that you're not going to be able to be there for whatever reason, so that they can make those. Uh, um, <clears throat> with the uh, the other thing with the military, sometimes you have to do the the um, uh, alive and well statement um, as well as a POA, so that the, we're, we're making sure that that's all covered at the same point in time. So it's just a little bit different stuff. Just make sure that your trusted mortgage advisor has a heads up to the fact that that you're not there. Um, and then the other little thing for, for me is in Texas, we have a wire cutoff. So assuming all these docs are done and everybody signed, um, it, you've, you've got a little bit different if it's a mail out. This, sometimes like the seller is not in Texas. He's in Illinois or, or somewhere else and they have to do a mail out to, to get that person to sign. So that delays the, the, the funding, the actual funding sometimes um, or needs to be done a day in advance. So just a couple of little things that aren't aren't as clear as you know the normal situation. There's there's other ways to make stuff happen, but you just have to be communicating to make that happen properly and smoothly. And how would this? You guys tell me in in a state where you have that wet funding, everyone's there at settlement. What if we have one borrower that's at a different locale? You talked about a, a mail out. Say we have a husband and wife. Husband is in Florida. Wife is here in in you know in Illinois, looking to sign. Can that still be accommodated? You can have one sign, and then the docs come back, and then they the the one who is local signs that settlement. Is that acceptable? Yes. Yes. I've not had that experience. It doesn't come up often, but uh, one of the things that hopefully as uh, your loan officer and or your realtor are asking early in the process, are either of you going to be traveling is something, I mean, sometimes things come up at the 11th hour, you don't know, but are you going to be out of town at any point during these 30 days? Because a lot of things can be done online, but there are things that do require being local, being live signatures, being notarized. Um, we haven't got any questions tonight, so I'm a little bit disappointed. We've got a great trio of experts here, and we haven't got any questions, but we did get a comment here. I believe Randy's uh, mom is is in the comment, says, Randy taught me more than he knows. Looking forward to shaking that man's hand in the very near future. So I believe, Randy, this is someone that you've helped. Unfortunately, on Facebook, if you don't authorize it when you come into the feed, it won't show your name. It just says Facebook you so you got a fan out there, Randy, of someone that you helped that's going to come and, and track you down and shake your hand. So always nice to, to get the good feedback of people being helped here in the group. Um, if you're watching tonight, you're watching this later where it's not live, you can't answer questions. We can always, in addition to going into the group, feel free to go out to the map, find a local professional in your area. Do not feel like those are salespeople that are only there to sell you a loan, sell you a house. Everyone in this group has been vetted and trained to be here to serve, to to reward you and return the sacrifice that, that you gave by being here to serve you with answers to your questions. So if you have questions about anything related to mortgage real estate, you can go out to the map, find someone local in your area, and they will be happy to answer your questions no matter where you are in the process uh, and go through that. So um, if we don't have any questions pop up, what we're going to do is, is go around the horn, give everyone a chance to kind of give your final thoughts, anything that we didn't cover yet. Um, I think we got a comment, someone in here saying about closing in Hawaii. Uh, we'll see if that pops up. But while we're waiting there, David, do you have actually, here we go. Here's our question. So in Hawaii, day one signing, day two funding, two days after funding is recording. Um, and that can happen in, in a lot of locales. David, do you kind of want to talk about, let's say in California, we have some states that will do a same day recording, other states that, that will have a delay and, and not record. You want to kind of walk through how that would, would work in different areas? Right. And I would even say, depending upon the county, right? Yep. It, it's going to depend on that as well. So, um, so like in an escrow title or here in California, I guess I'll just say. <laughs> so again, we have your signing, right? You're signing all the legal documents. 
then the, the seller is signing some of their documents that they have to do. And then, then we are giving that back over to the escrow title company. That's why before COVID, everybody would sign at the escrow title company, but it's a little bit, some offices allow it, some don't. Now, now we try to sign as close to that escrow title company as Paul, uh, as possible. So that way the notary who again is just notarizing the the legal documents, verifying who you say you are, they can drive that package over. Then um, they are uploading it again to the, to the funding department, right. Of the lender. Once we, uh, or I shouldn't say we, once the funder, <laughs> <laughs> verifies that all the all the initials all the signature pages have been signed then we will release the funds as the lender to the title company they act as what would you describe it josh like what switzerland when it comes to money like they're the, yeah. they're the disinterested yeah. third party right that is handling the funds between the buyer and the seller and the lender um and then once they get all the funds, they have all their paperwork because sometimes they have their own unique forms that they might have missed or forgot to have signed. Then they, they will have basically a, a service drive the documents to the recording office. So is that what you're wanting us to go over? Did, did I understand? The, the fun part, like I think on refinances where we, we also have so – Randy talked about the, the front end. We have a waiting period after the closing disclosure. Well, once you sign your loan documents on a refinance, we have three days as well that we have to wait before yeah. that thing can actually close. So for us in California, very, very common to use uh, an outside notary that will come to your house, your place of work, whatever, and sign. And what you were talking about there is really important that, that we discuss is that oftentimes, if they're not instructed to do so, they just wait, they shove them in a FedEx envelope and then send them back to escrow. So now we have a day delay, sometimes a two day delay for escrow to get your loan documents. Then escrow right. gets to look and review them. And nine times out of 10, they can upload to your lender for, for funding in a dry funding state. So it can cause all sorts of delays. So you're hundred percent correct that a lot of these escrow companies do not want you to come in and sign at their offices anymore. Or even if you do, they'll have an outside notary come in and sign with you at their offices. I know it's a little bit of a pain in the butt, but on a purchase where time is of the essence, if possible, especially if we're getting close to closing, definitely better to go into escrow or like David said, sign really close to escrow with a, a notary who is prepped and, and knows that we need you to drive those back over to escrow and not drop them in the overnight later where, where they can get lost. I had I had one a few months ago that Three days later, the docs had not showed up in FedEx. They were having weather delays. I'm like, the weather delays are on the East Coast. We're in California. I don't know what you're talking about. But thank God, three days later, the loan docs did actually show up. Well, I, I think we have a bunch of shy folks tonight because as soon as we, we came here at the end and started asking about questions, we we have a good chunk of them to, to go through. Um, Sarah, why don't you handle this one? You you had talked a little bit about timing, uh, how quickly, how long it can take. Um, this person that's viewing wants to know, how much time should I schedule for my signing? What's the fastest it could possibly get done? And what's kind of their worst case scenario of how long they should plan on being there? If the transaction flowed smoothly, that's usually a good sign that you will have a fair fairly quick closing. So it can run anywhere between 45 minutes to maybe an hour and a half. That could be a very normal, typical closing. However, if it's a contentious transaction, mm -hmm. in which case they may have the seller in a completely different room, um, it, it can take a couple of hours. If there were issues in the appraisal that maybe were not cleared, but that didn't get caught till closing, that can be a problem that can delay closing. So I have seen them go on for, you know, up to five hours and um, maybe even not close till the next day. So we call it dry closing here where everything is signed, but the loan isn't funded. It may not be funded until some last requirement is met. And at that point, they fund the closing. A five-hour yeah. closing sounds awful. I don't know about anyone it else, is. but that sounds awful. Yeah. Um, 
Dave, Randy in, in California, Texas, does that sound pretty consistent? Hopefully not five hours, but I would say if you've been fully prepped and, and Randy's reviewed the CD with you on the front end, you could probably get it done in 25, 30 minutes on the short end. There's a lot of papers and, and you want to make sure you get them all signed in the right place. And a couple hours, if you're really dotting I's, crossing T's and you want to read and review everything, would that be a pretty safe answer? Absolutely. The one, of the, one of the big things that always cracks me up at closing is there's like five different documents that say I'm not going to cheat and lie. And it always cracks me up if I'm actually at the closing because like if that first three didn't get you, but that fourth one, you're going to finally break down and say, hey, I'm cheating and lying. But, but, so there's that kind of stuff in there that, that there's really shouldn't take much time to sign. Uh, but if you want to read every line and ask a question about ever, I've, I've been at a five hour closing before and it was it was not fun. Um, but you know, that's, that's just who we were dealing with. You know, no fun Perfect. at all. Well, we've got another question here. And, um, if you're, if whoever asked this is still here, I'd like a little bit of clarification. Is there a limit on my second VA loan? I believe the question here is about secondary or bonus entitlement. If you want the long answer, we did a whole hour long episode on that a ways back. You can find it on the YouTube channel. If you search around the Facebook group, you can find it. Um, if you're just asking about, Hey, I had a VA loan paid it off. Is there a limit on my second VA loan? Absolutely no limits there. Randy, you want to walk us through what, just a quick overview of what secondary or bonus entitlement can look like and how that varies depending on how much of your entitlement you used on the first go around? Yeah. So, so the reader's digest version, and there's a, there's a, an intricate formula, but bottom line is if you take the conforming loan limit, wherever you're buying, and, and see what that is. And for, for instance, 726000 And you remember what your first loan was. If you're going to retain that first property, say it was 300000 You can, for the most part, subtract that 300000 from the seven twenty seven, And that's going to be the maximum loan that you can do without a, a down payment. Okay. That's, that's the short cocktail napkin way to to figure this stuff. There's more where they do different things. And that's assuming that you don't have any entitlement tied up for, you know, foreclosures or, you know, anything else like that. But if you, if you have the full entitlement available to you um, and you used 300,000 on the first loan and the second loan you're buying in a, in a state or in a County that's 726. Um, there are counties that are, you know, in Hawaii or that are, a million or whatever that number is. But so it goes on the county that you're buying in and you subtract those two. That's, that's the short answer. Perfect. And if you want the long answer, we have a very, very thorough full hour on that. And I believe on the YouTube channel, uh, shameless plug here for the Vetted VA YouTube channel. If yeah. you are not already subscribed there, go out and check it out because I think Adrian did uh, like a five, seven minute video that actually walks through the calculation of, of how to do it and gives you some links to some different calculators that you can use. I'm going to stick with you on this, Randy, because you opened up Pandora's box on the power of attorney. Um, are there any additional requirements above and beyond? a normal signing if I'm using a power of attorney? Just just that it be approved, that particular, power, that particular power of attorney has to be specific to this transaction. It can't be a general power of attorney that, that uh, you give. It has to be specific to this address, to this particular closing with this particular property. Um, and, then it, and then again, if you're in the active duty and you're not there closing the power of attorney, you, you're going to have to have the the uh, uh, alive and well statement done that day as well. So um, really that's, that's the big thing is your, your folks are going to have to approve it in advance. Give them a couple of weeks. Don't, don't drop it on the day before closing and say, Hey, you know, my, my guys over in, in, in Dubai, give them a couple of weeks notice and, and they'll walk it through the right channels. Perfect. So we do have one more question here. And if you guys are still watching, you have a question, don't hesitate, throw it out there. We will circle back to it. Um, but what we're going to do is go around the horn with the last question. So anything relating to closing day, advice, tips, tricks that we didn't just didn't talk about that. I want you guys to share that. But at the same time, our last question here is what crucial advice would you give to a first time home buyer? So why don't we start with you, David, crucial advice to a first time home buyer, anything we didn't cover on closing day that you would like to discuss. Okay, so the the first thing I would always say for for a first time home buyer is to do a budget. I don't know how many people that I talk to that don't 
take that initial time up front, especially in this market where a lot of places in the United States, affordability is being pushed to the max. So you're doing the budget not only to see where you can cut out expenses, right? But you're also doing it like if you find that house that you just absolutely fall in love with, but maybe you're because especially with VA, you're purchasing power most of the time of what you're able to get pre-approved for is not necessarily going to be what you're comfortable with, right? Meaning your pre-approval amount probably is going to be higher than what you might be comfortable with. Um, so I, I'm surprised at how many people I talk to on like a daily basis that don't do that. So it, it allows you to just know truly where your finances are. That's why that's super important. The other thing I would stress is making sure that you are vetting who the professionals that you're working with, um, because you want to make sure not only do you, I'm drawing a blank, I'm going to say vibe, right? Not, not just who you vibe with, but you also want to make sure that you are working with someone that's going to match your communication style. Uh, I tell a lot of my clients, like I'm a chameleon. Like if you need me to text you, like I, I, I will text you, you know, if, if you're wanting everything to be dialed in on email, if they're not willing to adjust right to your communication style, that's a huge red flag, especially because there are going to be stressful periods of the transaction. I always say like, you know, in a 30 day escrow, it's that first seven days and that last, last seven days that feels like you're drinking out of a fire hose, right? So you want to make sure you're dealing with someone that will communicate not just throughout the process, but in the, the way that's going to work best for you. So I'd say those are my top two for sure. Perfect. Great advice. Randy, what do you got? So, so I, I, I want to add on to what David said from the beginning. Um, one, one of the things I do for first time homebuyer, and I think it's something that most mortgage advisors will do if you ask them to, is anytime they make an offer, I do a fee sheet for them. And, and the fee sheet's not a, a full loan estimate because we're not to that point yet, but it's a spitball thing that's going to tell you pretty much what the payment is, going to tell you pretty much what your cash to close is. And you need to be communicating and, and looking at that stuff to make sure that you're comfortable on the offer that you're making before you go to the closing table. You, you, you want to make sure that, that that's been communicated to you. And, and I would say overall, the biggest thing that, that again, tagging on to what David said is, is find people that, that take the stress out of the process. And one of my things I've been doing this for a long time and, and I, I love really good realtors that, that don't multiply the stress. They, they diminish it because there's answers and if they know what they're doing, et cetera, you know, as a first time home buyer, and really if you're just a, you know, it's, it's a huge thing you do, whether it's your first time or not, that you be in a position that you're dealing with a great team and, and specifically folks that know and love the VA loan, but that also folks that don't add stress to the process. Some people, just their nature is they love drama. And, and I, I tell you, when in my career, when I work with these agents that are just adding extra drama to the thing, it's like, Praise the Lord that that transaction's over when it's when it's over. But 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 that's my biggest thing is to have flexibility and to know that when you go to this closing, um, it, there's going to be different things that you have to to go through, etc. But but don't be stressed out by it. Enjoy the process um, because it is you know a, a great thing when it's done properly, and and ultimately it's worth you know you know they they say the pain is worth the gain or. You know, that's that's kind of the thing that I would tell you. It's make sure that you're that you realize that it's all going to be over soon. You're going to have those keys. It's going to be worth it. I want to kind of piggyback on something that each of you said that's really important. David mentioned the difference between what you can afford and what you can qualify for. Without budgeting, you don't know what's truly affordable. And especially with VA loans, we can generally get you qualified for a lot more than you are comfortable with. And then the piece that Randy added to that is, I am shocked. I, I get a lot of clients that find me online, so they've already talked to someone. And we come behind them and they'll say, hey, I was approved for $720,000. Okay, cool. Did, 
What did they tell you the payment was going to be? What did they tell you the cash to close was going to be? Oh, I don't know. We didn't talk about that. Like that's it's mind boggling, but it happens a lot. I'm not saying it happens the majority of the time, but it's not an insignificant amount of time. People have talked to lenders who tell them you're qualified for this, you're pre-approved for this, but they don't know what their monthly payment is going to be, and they don't know what they need to be prepared with at cash to close. Those are really important things to to go through. Just wanted to kind of underline those in red that the two of you had had mentioned there, Sarah. Maybe from a realtor's perspective, what, what's jumping out at you as uh, closing advice and advice for a first-time buyer? Yes. So I have to agree with uh, Randy and David. You have professionals on your side, and I think that you really need to trust that they are working for you. Uh, obviously, if there's been issues along the way and you feel that they're not trustworthy, yes, it is important to keep your finger on the pulse. No matter what, you want to know what's going on. But it always saddens me when I see people come into the group and they're so stressed out. It's almost like a theme where, you know, it's not in vogue to be stressed out. It's And it's not okay either. If you are, as a buyer, are stressed out, Someone's dropping the ball somewhere along the way, unless you tend to live your life in a stressed out state of mind, if you will. Um, but you have professionals on your side, rely on them, trust them, and know that they're doing the right thing for you. Obviously, we always say trust but verify, which is why I say keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on and just make sure that everyone's doing what they need to do. But trust that they are working on your behalf and you're, it, it's not all going to just implode on you. So and, and definitely use the group as a resource. If there's anything that we can help you with, I mean, we at least try to educate you because I think that when you come from a place of education, it helps to put everything in perspective for you and keep you from being so stressed out. So that's my first tip. My second tip, which I think is really important, is... Um, we have a lot of buyers that may not necessarily be moving into the home immediately after closing. So it's typical that people will have moving trucks, you know, at the title company parking lot because they're ready to move into their new home right away. But with military folks, that's not always the case. Sometimes you may not be coming in for a month or two. And um, I know that people like to turn off their utilities just to save a couple bucks and I'm here to tell you that's a big no-no. Don't, tur don't turn off your utilities. Um, houses are alive. I, I know that it's weird, but I tell people this all the time. Homes are alive. They have systems in them that run them, whether it's heating or AC or uh, obviously electric. You need your electric to run your swimming pools if you have that. You need it to run your sump pump. So if there's a major rainfall and your electric isn't on and your sump pump can't run, your basement will flood if you have a basement. Uh, there could be other issues that go on in the house that it, it wouldn't be too fun for you to show up and find. So don't cut that corner. Keep your utilities on. I like it. So I, I promised that we would keep the uh, questions open while while we were closing here. So we actually got a couple of good ones here. Sarah, maybe you can walk through this. Shay is asking, can a seller legally pull out at the last moment, such as closing day? Thank you in advance. Um, but can how late can the seller pull out? They can't pull the plug on closing day. I guess, you know, under certain circumstances, they could. But why don't you walk through what that looks like and why that generally does not happen? Well, it generally doesn't happen because people have plans in their lives and they need to sell. Sometimes they need the funds from their home, their original home, in order to buy their next property. I've never had that experience and I've been doing this for a while, but I've never seen a seller back out at the last minute. I have seen them back out during the attorney and inspection period. So just like a buyer has that, here we, we um, excuse me, our contracts have boilerplate verbiage in there that gives you five business days to have a home inspection and a uh, attorney to review the contract. So the seller gets that same five days. So I have seen sellers back out early on, not on closing day, 
not at the last minute. I think that that would be a huge issue. That would be a problem, especially like I mentioned earlier, if you have your moving truck at the parking lot of the title company, that's going to be a big problem. Um, They are opening themselves up to risk and potential lawsuits, especially if that buyer does need to move in right away. Um, As a buyer, you can sue them for performance of that contract. Um, But, you know, by the time you get through all of the legalities of that, you've gone through a lot already, even in terms of where you're going to stay that night. I would, I would go so far as to say it's almost to the opposite side where we have a buyer not performing, not doing what they're supposed to, not releasing contingencies, not closing, not getting docs to escrow. It's pretty rare that the seller will even cancel at that point. Like, like Sarah said, they want to sell. They want their house to close. They will give you too much rope in most cases before pulling the rug out from under you. And the contracts every state has their association of realtors and those attorneys are really good. They, they write those contracts in a way that um, it's likely to close and buyers are more protected in that sense than sellers. It's very binding to a seller. Whereas your buyer has multiple, at least in the early stages of that contract, multiple outs for, for getting out of the transaction. Randy, is that pretty similar for you in Texas? Absolutely. The only difference with us is it's not a standard, it's a negotiated time period for that option. What we call an option period uh, is negotiated and it can be as little as zero days, which I never advise, but it can be 14 days. You know, and typically it gives more than enough time to do the, the inspection and get results back and then negotiate, et cetera, but it varies. That's the only difference. David, yeah, and any, we can any, adjust any, ours too, by the way. Okay. So those contracts, it's important to note, Sarah, so you were kind of saying there are standards, like our California residential purchase agreement, it has standard numbers in there, but there's also a box that says if this is checked, we can write in whatever you and the seller agree to, That's you can correct. agree to. So it's pretty, pretty similar from state to state in terms of how sure. those contracts are looking. Yeah. All right, we've got one last question, and only Randy can answer it. A specific uh, request. Our, our friend Rickless Cage, who actually shows up on our, our Wednesday Live, um, asks Randy to talk about government Governor Abbott's property tax cut proposal. Um, have you heard about it? Any insights or thoughts on it for our Texas viewers? Well, the, the Reader's Digest version, from what I read, is, is that they're proposing to use compression um, in, in order to reduce this. Um, and, and basically what they're doing is getting funds from other places besides just the, you know, the big thing in Texas, the Achilles heel of being here is property taxes. And, and they're outrageous compared to, I was licensed in 34 states. And in and my experience with those other 33 states didn't have taxes anywhere close to what Texas can have. So the compression is where that basically there's using other funds from other places to, to bring the, uh, um, the amount down that's actually coming from the home buyer um, and make it where that the home buyer is going to be saving. And I think they said, according to what Abbott stuff said, like you know, roughly like $3,000 a, a year, um, which is, which will be huge for me. Um, but uh, you know, there, there's a couple of different versions, but that's, they're using compression to make, uh, to make the taxes go down and then they're going to limit the amount that you can pay, which right now it's pretty much unlimited. I have an important and secondary follow-up to this, Randy. Um, Rickless here has a Texas Tech helmet as his uh, avatar here um, in the Tickle household. Is that allowed? Are you allowed to be a Tech fan, or, or where do our allegiances lie? My my brother and his uh, and his boys uh, went to Texas Tech, so uh, that's allowed. I'm I'm from the old. I went to Rice, and and my thing is is you know my two favorite, my three favorite teams are the the teams that are playing. Uh, Whoever's playing Texas, whoever's whoever's playing Texas A&M and Rice, those are my three favorite teams. So I like it. I know I went to uh, I went to play the basketball tournament in high school at Texas Tech, and in in Lubbock, uh, it's not much to look at, um, but the coeds were a lot to look at. So I was highly interested in going to uh, West Texas and the the dusty, dirty plains, just because the uh, the ladies were very, very friendly, nice, and attractive while I was there. But I was younger then. I got that all out of our system. My my brother also has a wife from Texas Tech, so I don't blame him. From what I saw. 
saw that was a good good place to locate a wife. Yeah. But that's yeah. all I know about Texas Tech. I did like their basketball arena, and I like their ladies. Um, all right, guys, we've had a, a pretty good uh, conversation on this. We we're able to answer a bunch bunch of questions. Again, if you're watching at home and we didn't get your questions answered, go out to the Facebook group. Uh, Go to the map, find someone directly. What I was going to say, my advice to a, a first-time buyer is it is never too early for you to talk to both a realtor and talk to a lender. I would almost say talk to them before you are ready to buy. There's no pressure. You don't feel like you're going to get sold. You can say, hey, I'm thinking of buying next year. I'm thinking of buying at the end of this year. Get all your questions out in the open. Get them answered where there's not the pressure of, hey, I need to get pre-approved and I need to buy now. You can sort of get your ducks in a row, make sure that there's nothing lurking there that you need to be aware of, need to be working on before you get ready. So these guys all had great advice. I appreciate you all watching. Um, we'll be back here next Tuesday with another batch of experts. So again, thank you three, and we'll be back next week. Honored to be here. Thank you.